Hello, and welcome to the weekly market podcast from BNP Paribas Asset Management. I'm Daniel Morris, Senior Investment Strategist, and I'm joined this week by Koye Samfan, who is the head of the multi-asset and solutions team in our quantitative research group. And this week, we'll be discussing, as always, the markets, but more importantly, a paper that Koye and I have recently published on longer-term asset allocation views, what to expect after the great pandemic of 2020, which you will find on our Investors Corner blog. But first to the markets, the good news, at least if you're looking at the performance of risk assets, is a lot of the swoon that we had in markets a week or so ago largely seems to have been recovered uh, and on our way back to at least near-term highs. A couple of drivers for that After the better-than-expected non-farm payrolls we saw in the U.S. a few weeks ago, this week we had some more better-than-expected data. Both in the U.S. and in the U.K., you had big surprises in retail sales, and not only were the numbers better-than-expected, they were actually positive, meaning that you had an increase in retail sales month-on-month. So that does seem to indicate, okay, maybe we're not quite at a V-shaped recovery yet, or that far along it, but compared to the data that we've had over the previous couple of months, certainly quite encouraging. I think other news that gave some confidence to investors is there seems to be a pretty rapid reopening of borders within Europe, uh, certainly in support of the summer tourist season. Also seem to be getting some positive trade news between the U.S. and China, though from bitter experience, we know how quickly that can turn around. But broadly speaking, good news to encourage investors, at least towards equities. And you can also see economists a little bit more optimistic, and that's not a typical adjective you use for economists. But you actually see that the forecast for GDP growth in the U.S. for 2020 has increased from minus 6.1% to minus 5.5%. Now, of course, minus 5.5% is still pretty terrible, especially when you remember that during the global financial crisis, the decline in GDP was minus 3.9. So still worse than the global financial crisis, but nonetheless better than was feared uh, several weeks ago. And it's also important to remember that even if the near-term trajectory is likely to be quite different than it was during the global financial crisis with a much bigger drop in the second quarter and then a much bigger rebound, hopefully, in the third and fourth quarters, Uh, When you're a year to two years out from the bottom of the growth cycle, actually the trajectory of GDP looks quite similar. And so that gives us some comfort when we also look at the trajectory of equity markets. I think when we try to analyze how the news around coronavirus is affecting the markets, uh, what we do seem to be seeing is a slightly less intense focus on the number of infections. Certainly they are increasing. Uh, But that doesn't seem to be bothering the markets quite as much as it did before. And I think what you might see is the change in the emphasis and what the markets pay attention to. Instead of just pure infection rates, I think it will be more on uh, death rates, to be honest. Uh, Also on the capacity of hospitals to handle the infections that we are seeing. Because I think most people realize no infections is not really a realistic goal. Uh, Look at New Zealand. They had that for a few days, but uh, pretty quickly that's turned around. Uh, And also just look at China, where you actually have a soft lockdown being reimposed in Beijing, 
because of a small outbreak in infections there. But despite that outbreak in China, uh, which could be quite worrying, you're actually seeing Chinese equities outperforming emerging market equities. So the strategy seems to be to focus uh, new restrictions as necessary in a very targeted manner to control particular infection outbreaks, as opposed to broad lockdown restrictions the way we saw at the beginning of the pandemic, when certainly governments uh, were not in a position to be so selective when there was so much uncertainty uh, and lack of knowledge about what was ahead of us. And I think what that tells us about the outlook for the market is there now is probably a higher bar uh, to see a bigger sell-off, anything like we saw in March, than we would have thought, uh, say, three or four weeks ago. If we do want to highlight one risk that probably does remain, it is likely valuations, particularly for the tech sector, where price-to-book ratios are at eight times, which is historically very high for the technology sector. But now let's turn to our guests. And, and Corey, you, in a sense, don't have to think about all these things, what's happening in the market today or tomorrow or next week, uh, because from what I understand, what you're doing is thinking about the longer-term decisions that we need to take when it comes to asset allocation. Uh, and I know you have a very robust model that helps you come to those decisions. What are the main messages from your valuation models uh, about the potential longer-term returns for the principal asset classes? Thank you, Daniel. Now, let me start by saying that getting your crystal ball out there, and that's basically what we're trying to do when we predict the future, that getting the crystal ball out there is difficult. And in these extraordinary times, it's even more difficult. It's, yeah, you could say maybe even reckless to do so. Uh, one certainty we have is that the uncertainty surrounding these kind of predictions is at the moment greater than during more normal times. So that's sort of a caveat I would like to flag. But then going, going to the predictions we have in our, our model, let me start by looking at bonds. Now, what we saw is that the, the gap you have between the, our predictions for U.S. government bonds and Euro government bonds, that gap has reduced in the, in, in, during this current crisis. And that has a lot to do with the Fed and their aggressive loose monetary policy, which pushed push the current curve, the current government curve downwards. And that's one of the main inputs for our model. So the starting points of, say, the euro area government bonds and the U.S. government bonds is still different, but it's, it has converged a little bit. And that resulted us in having expected returns where we still are, have higher expected returns for the U.S. government bonds. Uh, lower, lower expected returns for Eurozone, especially for core Eurozone, but the gap, the difference between the two has narrowed. And as a, as a related effect, our predictions about how much it would cost a Euro investor to hedge US dollar exposure, those hedging costs have come down as well on the back of, uh, of that convergence of the government bond curve. So that's on the bonds. Now let me go to credits. Our credit model, there are a couple of ingredients. Current spreads, target spreads, and the probability of rating migration are the key ingredients we put in, in the model to come up with expected returns for the longer term. Now, what we've seen at the start of the COVID-19 crisis in February, March, is that credit spreads widened quite dramatically, and that gave our expected return for these assets a significant boost, even after increasing the risk of rating downgrades because of, of the crisis, of course, the the risk of downgrades and defaults were uh, higher. 
We put that also in our model, but then net-net, we still saw an uptick in the expected returns for credits. Now, if we zoom in on investment grade, we have marginal preferences for UK and US over Eurozone investment grade. Additionally, for high-yield corporate bonds, we have a regional preference for the UK and the Eurozone over the US. One of the reasons why we're slightly more favorable for the UK and Eurozone is that US high yields has a slightly lower rating quality and is therefore more sensitive to what we think uh, is a heightened default risk in the current environment. So that's credit. The third important asset class I haven't talked about is equity. To predict the expected returns from equity markets, the model looks at the cyclical adjusted price earning ratios, also known as the Schilipi. Expected return for most developed world equity markets have remained low but relatively stable since mid-2017, as the price earning ratios has been relatively stable, although high. The COVID-19 crisis gave our expected return for equity a significant boost. Thanks very much, Goye. That was very thorough explanation of how you're looking at the expected returns for the different asset classes. Uh, that said, a lot of our listeners are going to be euro-based investors, uh, so certainly very cognizant of how things look from a euro point of view as opposed to, say, a dollar point of view. Uh, and also, they're thinking a lot about risk-adjusted returns, just not the, the biggest return, but the risk you're taking for that. From that perspective, then, uh, when you consider the outlook on a risk-adjusted basis for a euro-based investor, what asset classes stand out for you? Uh, thank you, Daniel. That's indeed a very good question, because so far I've just focused exclusively on assets returns. But the degree of risk is clearly also an important aspect of an asset's attractiveness. Uh, let's focus on a euro investor. And like a lot of our institutional clients, they prefer hedging most of the currency exposure of, the, of their investment. So what we typically do for these kind of clients, we look at the sharp ratios where we uh, use cash as the risk, euro cash as the risk-free rate, and assume that the currency exposure is hedged. Now, taking that as a starting point, then we can say within the more core assets, we are relatively more positive on equity and credit over government bonds. Government bonds, we are more positive on inflation-linked bonds than nominal bonds. And finally, within the government bonds, we are most negative on the risk-adjusted return of U.S. Treasury. That's for two reasons. U.S. Treasury have a lower expected return than, say, pre-COVID-19, and they still, to hedge that low return, is still quite expensive. Not as expensive as pre-COVID-19, but still quite expensive. That combined, in euro hedge terms, means that U.S. Treasury looks the least interesting, according to our model. Okay, so I can summarize the message that Koye has shared with us. And I must say, even as he acknowledged, he's probably the bravest member of our team because he's the one who's trying to look into that crystal ball and predict the future. And that's particularly difficult now, given everything that's going on with the pandemic uh, and a crystal ball a little bit less clear, perhaps, than uh, it has been in the past. Nonetheless, we have to give it a try. The recommendation from Koye's team takes into account the fact that the gap between U.S. and European government bond yields has fallen, uh, mostly thanks to moves by the U.S. Federal Reserve. Uh, and that has a fairly significant impact on the outcomes and the recommendations of their model. They still expect higher returns in the U.S. than in Europe, but not 
to the same degree as they had before for government bonds. They also like credit in general, uh, but need to take two things into account, uh, given the increase in spreads that we've seen, that certainly increases expected returns, but at the same time, one is concerned about downgrades uh, and defaults. So you have to net those two factors out. But nonetheless, they came to the conclusion that within their model, at least, credit does look more attractive. Specifically then to the attractiveness of different asset classes for a euro-based investor, on a risk-adjusted basis, the preferences are for equity and for credit. Uh, within core government bonds, a preference for inflation-linked versus nominal, and also less positive on U.S. Treasuries than they had in the past, again, because of the fall in U.S. Treasury yields. So if I've done that justice, we'd like to thank you for joining us again this week. We wish you all well and look forward to you joining us again next week. Take care. This podcast presentation includes a discussion on current market events and is not intended as investment advice or an offer of products or services by BMP Paribas Asset Management. Please keep in mind that the information and analysis in this presentation is only current as of the publication date.